Hey folks, Matt Gosman here, IU Insider Indianapolis Star. He's Mike Nislik, Bloomington Herald Times. This is Mind Your Banners for January 11th, 2024. Uh, this is one of the more exciting days of the new year for me, Mike, because I get to declare it's mid-January, which means we're all the closer to late January, which means we're closer to the end of January, which is hands down the worst month of all the months of the year. Isn't it January 11th? Why? How is that mid-January? Because the, 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 the first 10 days are early January. The second 10 days are mid-January. And then the last 11 days will just allow for me in late January. Interesting. I, and I think February is the worst month. See, my birthday's in February, so I can't say that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, like I, I, I have something to sort of pick me up. Also, February is just, February is better than January because it's shorter. So it's both my birth month which means presents, obviously, because I'm a 12 year old, and and also it just doesn't last as long. You you get to no, you get, get to late February yeah, no, late, earlier yeah. than you get to late January. Think about that. Birthday elevates it. You can't. Yeah, that's. I share I a birthday with Hank Aaron and Cristiano Ronaldo. So that's interesting. People ask what happened to them. Anyway, um, we're here to talk about IU basketball, men's and women's. I think we're going to get into the women's uh, team a little bit later. Five and zero in the Big Ten. Five and zero. Five and zero. Right. Um, record, record start. For the Big Ten. Obviously, still just kind of steaming along. I think, in particular, um, in the Big Ten conference that is quietly opening up for one or two teams. The other one being the team they're going to face very soon. Obviously, is what's become, as even Terry Morin acknowledged, something of a rivalry with Iowa. Um, talk about the men's team first. Uh, I think since the last time we talked, they've gone one and one. They had what I thought was a actually a relatively impressive home win against Ohio State that obviously hasn't aged as well since Ohio State lost to Wisconsin. Um, there is something to be said for the fact that Indiana seems to just be ruining the Big Ten teams that it beats. Um, and then a a frustrating loss at Rutgers for Indiana. I think in particular, because unlike last year when Indiana went to Rutgers and frankly just kind of no-showed, um, this game was winnable in, in some very sort of tangible ways. And Indiana kind of didn't pull it together i think it's fair to say you know for the moment anyway indiana just still just kind of feels like a team that is just struggling to kind of pull the um pull together the sort of consistency that it needs to sort of meet this challenge mike woodson keeps talking about about you know playing the same way on the road that you do at home and limiting the mistakes that allow you to get home you know big wins on the road and those kinds of things it's just it's kind of beyond indiana well, I mean, I know it's been a couple of days, but let's talk about a couple of things. I, I wanted to get you here since we haven't had a chance to talk. I don't think at all. I, I don't even know your opinions off air. Uh, uh, Xavier Johnson gets kicked out of the game uh, for the uh, low blow. Uh, Mike Woodson called it a fiasco. I would have loved to ask if we didn't get a chance to follow up with that. Did he, is the fiasco the call or was the fiasco Xavier Johnson going low what what would you define? What does Zach Osterman think what the fiasco was? And I mean, yeah. he had bad body language too. I thought in the game, he looked very frustrated at Xavier coming off a game where he said, "I need to be more mature. I need to make the right decisions." Uh, what, and that sort of gave them one less guy, I think, on the court to when they needed it late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry, I think quarters covered the women's game last night. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's. Um... It's kind of, first of all, I think it it is, it, anyone can confidently say Xavier Johnson should not have done what he did. 
Um, you know, and I think replay bared that bared that out. And um, you know, I think it took a pretty good hit for it. He took a pretty good hit for it. Yeah, I the only thing I was a little bit surprised by that he didn't get a, a uh, like a after like a like a flag on the play, like two flags. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, I'm not sure they should have both been flagrants, but I mean Antoine and again replay tells you why it happened, but Antoine Wolfolk took a pretty good shot at his neck. He did. Um, and if you notice on the replay, Xavier Johnson like waved to him, like basically, I think thought that yes. he had he yes. had baited yes. Wolfolk into into a flagrant one or a flagrant two. Um, you know, I think that ultimately the most disappointing thing if you're Indiana is is probably just the you know, I mean, Xavier Johnson himself like said Saturday night, oh I'm I'm I've got growing up to do. I'm always growing up. I'm still growing up. And then this happens on Tuesday. And I thought it was, I mean, Xavier Johnson's maybe the most extreme example of it, but I, I also thought, and this is what I wrote about. I thought it was telling Mike Woodson basically called his seniors out by name after the game. And he, and he literally said, I got one senior, no problem. (laughs) You know, Anthony Leal giving me everything I need. I got three other seniors just not holding up their end right now. Anthony, yeah. Trey. No, I mean he was. Yeah, he was just like make Anthony sure Ball that they get. And again, Xavier Johnson is is on on Tuesday night the most extreme or obvious or apparent example of that. But like it was just interesting to me that Woodson was sort of willing to just say. And I think you know, listen, I I think the thing is like last year Indiana went to Rutgers and um. They lost by 15. They did not play well at all. You know, Xavier Johnson is exactly the sort of player that tends to struggle against a team like Rutgers that is really good with ball pressure. They did that same matchup zone a year ago. If you go back to that game, I mean, Jalen Hinchapino was out for that game. I think it was his, I think it was his back. That was that was when he missed like three games in a row for his for some sort of back issue or two games in a row, whatever it was. Um, Xavier Johnson was two of eleven from the floor. Trace Jackson Davis only had 13 points. I mean, Rutgers just like like the two lowest points per possession numbers of the Mike Woodson era uh, per Ken Palm both came against Rutgers. But that game was just sort of like, okay, Indiana just played bad everywhere. And they weren't, you know, that was a better Rutgers team. Indiana was not ready for that matchup zone. They just, you know, other than it, like it would have been even more ugly if Miller Cop hadn't hit a bunch of threes. And so you kind of walked out and just said, hey, it was just a bad day at the office. You know, it was, I think they'd had travel problems, which they had again this this trip. Every time they go to New Jersey, something seems to happen. They didn't leave until Wednesday morning because of the storms. Um, and it was just sort of like, hey, that was just a bad day. The thing about this game is it was winnable. You know, um, yeah. they only lost by nine. They missed 11 free throws. Rutgers didn't make a field goal in the last four minutes and 40 seconds of the game. That one was an amazing stat to me. That they and just, yeah. if, I mean, I, the, the, the three-point shooting number is a little bit exaggerated because they were kind of just cranking them up late in the game, trying to chase the scoreboard. But, you know, you hit, I mean, you make even, I don't know, six of those free throws. That's not even a very good free throw shooting number. That's 67%. You make six of those free throws and make one more three, and it's a tie game. And it's a tie game against a Rutgers team that's not very good, that's still at the time winless in conference play, that doesn't really have kind of a go-to scorer. And so suddenly you'd kind of be in control. And I think Mike Woodson's frustration is a little bit more that he sees a game like this and he just thinks that was winnable. 
And again, Johnson is the most extreme example of this, but Anthony Walker plays six minutes. He's got three rebounds, two turnovers. He doesn't score. Trey Galloway plays 34 minutes. He's got eight points. He's got five assists. He's got three steals, but he's also four of 13 from the floor, and he misses both of his free throws. He's only got two rebounds. I think it's just a game where Mike Woodson would look at his more experienced players and he'd say, this is where I need you because – Well, and he's talked about like – And I got some grief for saying Indiana's a young team on Twitter, but like they're 221st, according to Kim Pomeroy, in Division I experience. And there's a lot of, oh, they start two guys that are in their combined 10th year of college in the backcourt, fine. But literally everything else around them is either guys that are young or guys that haven't played much together or both. And I think it's Mike Woodson saying, I just can't afford for you guys to just no-show me like this when I've got, you know, they've got essentially be his presence on the floor. Like he says, like, I've got to get this team where it needs to be. And like, he can't play. So the seniors have to be the guys that sort of anchor what his message is, what the effort, the, the focus, you know, and you, 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 you know, we haven't talked about kind of the turnovers that, you know, at least 17 turnovers in three last four games. That's a terrible stretch. And, you know, when things have gone wrong, he's been very critical of the guards. Uh, you know, now he's expanded it to the seniors because Anthony Walker hasn't played well last two games, uh, wasn't used much in the last one. But uh, I think that that stands out that, you know, he's looking for like he's trying to coach up these young guys. He can't be worried about the players that he he should have to invest the least amount of time in to sort of with effort and with with making smart decisions like that's wasted time in his mind i feel like that he he, you know, he can't be doing this at this point with Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway they need to be better so he can worry about you know the like all like you said i i would define this as a very young team and an inexperienced team even though they have a starting backcourt that has experience the other thing i wanted to ask you about was the uh substitutions of it all um that drew some uh you know reactions uh that you know uh mike woodson was sort of dismissive of the question i viewed it as the reserves didn't lose that game i thought the starters played pretty poorly down the stretch yeah and it didn't really have an impact in the game at all like yeah they gave up a seven point lead in like the first seven minutes but like i wrote i wrote about this in in my talking points newsletter today like i don't like like uh, when a team loses or struggles like rotations and bench lineups and like that stuff is always kind of like an easy sort of like complaint because listen but like the bench didn't play like I mean, it would the, be and the reason the reason your bench on the floor doesn't look as good game. as your starters at times is because your bench players aren't as good as your starters otherwise they'd start but um, they weren't even on the floor to really do anything in the second. No, like, it, and there, like if if you if you go back on the play by play, Indiana actually basically like the crest of Indiana's wave was twenty to thirteen in the first half. They had an eighteen to twelve lead and then a twenty to thirteen lead. And when they had the twenty to thirteen lead, and I'll go back, I'll go into my story so I just get this right. When they had the twenty to thirteen lead, um, I'm looking for it as we speak on air admin. When they had the 20 to 13 lead, four starters were on the bench. I think the only one that was on the floor was either Kalel Ware or Xavier Johnson, one of the two that he, he Woodson had started to roll back through. Um, I, I don't think the complaints about Woodson's rotation are quite on point. The complaints about consistency of your bench are fair. You know, yeah, but I mean, that Walker wasn't that. Yeah, I didn't think that was is, the question, is, was more about how he's playing them, not 
not how they're playing. It was more, it was very specifically about, you know, the rotations and why don't, why do you play four bench players at once and not mix and match a little more, but he had played his starters more minutes against Ohio state than he had all season, especially in the first half. I just found it. The, the premise I thought was flawed in a game where the starters lost the game. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'd have to go back through the, I'll get the, the, the box score up while we're talking. I think one thing more broadly that has stood out to me is actually quietly. Like, first of all, Mike Woodson can't not play his bench. Like you can't just play your starters 38 minutes a night. That's, that's obviously not practical. And that's what um, his point was. And it has been throughout the season when he's been asked about but. the, the pattern that we have seen across his three seasons or two and a half seasons or however you want to define it, the pattern that we have generally seen from Woodson has been that near the beginning of the season, he plays a pretty defined second line. And he does that, I think, both to tinker with rotations and also just to try and keep minutes out of guys' legs where he can. And inevitably, invariably, there will be games where that second line goes in and Indiana's beating, you know, Moorhead State by 19 and the second line goes in and it's not as good as the first line and suddenly Moorhead State's down 11 and Indiana starts rolling its starters back out on the floor and everybody says, well, what was that bench lineup? What was he doing? Well, what he was doing was giving his starters rest. His bench players are not as consistent. They're probably not as experienced. There's a reason they're playing off the bench. They struggle a little bit more. They also don't play as many minutes. Like it's, it's worth saying, the more minutes you play on the floor together, the better you're probably going to be together. Bench players aren't getting that the way starters are. And so in general, um, you're just going to like, it is, it is inevitable that you're going to have some of this. Um, and it is worth saying, if you look at the plus minus, you know, on, on Tuesday, you know, Indiana's benches plus minus Gabe cups was minus nine. Anthony Leo was minus seven. Anthony Walker was minus 10. Those are your top three plus minus, um, like in, in the red, if you want to say. And if you look at EvanMaya.com, Evan Maya Kaba's site, um, Indiana's bench players are pretty much all in the red, and its starters are all in the black and the, the season-long plus-minus. Now, bear in mind, that's still taking into account non-conference play. Um, but the flip side to that is, like, he only played six players more than six minutes at right. Rutgers, Mike Woodson. He only played, I think it was... What was it? He only played. Like Peyton Sparks was in for a hot minute. Uh, did Anthony Leo play? It he only Rutgers? played eight. He essentially only played eight players against Ohio State. Gabe Cups played four minutes. Um, Anthony Walker got twelve. Caleb Banks got thirteen. CJ Gunn got twenty-four. Like if you if we if we just kind of keep cycling backward, he has started. I would argue, he has started trimming his bench. Yeah, I agree. A lot sooner than he normally does. Because you go back two years, and I mentioned this in, in talking points, um, he played basically eight players against Illinois in the Big Ten tournament game that they, they won against Illinois that effectively got them in the NCAA tournament. He, have, he essentially just played seven players against Iowa the next day. Um by the end of last season, Indiana was pretty much down to a seven-man rotation. Caleb Banks would get scattered in here and there, but it was pretty much just the starters plus Malik Renew and Tamar Bates, and that was it. And I My think that's where he's kind of going. I, I mean, he's trying to figure out if it's Gunn 
Banks or Walker who should get the bulk of the minutes and Gunn's gotten the last two games. I think he's trying to piece that together and that's kind of where he's going. The direction. And I and generally speaking, I think that he's usually like I would argue that statistically speaking or whatever you want to say, he has probably pared down his rotation more now at this point in the calendar than is normal for him. That that like if if you I mean like I'm I'm just going back through box scores you know he played he played ten players against Wisconsin last year now that was a blowout win but you know nine of them got at least no he played eleven players nine of them got at least five minutes um you know he he really didn't get to a point where he had he had cut his bench down to basically two until probably mid late February I think he's actually already at that point now more like he's he's you know, Peyton Sparks really isn't playing much right now. Anthony Leal's coming in here and there, but it's it's you know it's it's him trying to figure out almost like three from four of Cups, Gun, um, Banks, and Walker. He doesn't tend to play all four of them that many minutes. And I'm with you. Like if you actually just look at the play by play, like yes, Indiana struggled at times with some of its bench players on the floor, but guess what? Indiana basically played well for about ten minutes on. Tuesday and then didn't play well for 30 minutes. Everyone was kind of involved in that. I just yeah. like I, the, I think the complaint more... you have is is just that individual players are struggling. Like Caleb Banks and Peyton Sparks foul too much. CJ Gunn has only just now started finding his jumper, although to be fair, he's six of twelve in Big Ten play. Anthony Walker's got one point in his last two games, and he's supposed to be the guy that was like your most consistent. Like you your complaints are about the performance of individual bench players. I don't think the bench lineups and the way Mike Woodson rolls through his rotation. Are the problem in the are are a problem at the scope that people are making it out to be? Well, and I think it's more of a it's sort of you have to go backwards. That's more I think what people are actually upset about is the roster construction. Um, and you know the bench is not playing well, but just the idea that they don't have any shooters, so the guys that they have coming off the bench are not fulfilling the roles that they sort of like would need or would complement. Uh, a Khalil Ware and a Malik Renu. Um, and, and I think that is sort of exacerbates the problem. And I mean, you know, since you can't really change your roster at this point in the year, you're kind of stuck complaining about the things that you, um, you know, that you could try to change. But, uh, you know, like I said, I don't think it's contributing to, uh, didn't contribute to their loss against Rutgers to, in my mind. I mean, uh, Xavier Johnson's getting kicked out was more of an obviously a factor and forcing Woodson to go away from an experienced six year senior than anything sort of his rotations in the first half, which, um, you know, like you said, he's winnowing it down now. So I can understand his sort of, I mean, he didn't answer the question with much elegance, but I mean, he's very to the point and blunt. And so I think fans sort of frustration with that part of it um is overblown. I mean, losing to Rutgers, I mean that Rutgers team was atrocious offensively. I mean, I think that was enough. You could just be frustrated, <laughs> frustrated with that. I mean, that was a bad offensive team. In the second half, he played Gabe Cups, Anthony Leal, and Anthony Walker a combined seven minutes. And Caleb Banks and Peyton Sparks both appear in the second half box score. Banks is minus one with nothing else on his ledger. Um and zero minutes, so he, he was on the floor for less than a minute. Sparks has nothing but zeros. My point, and I'm not picking on these players so much as just saying, like, you know, second half, even after Xavier Johnson goes down, Xavier Johnson only plays seven minutes in the second half. Even with that, 
he effectively played six players across the entire. Yeah. And and that's the other thing he tends to do is he tends to do more of kind of a full bench rotation, whatever his bench is at that given time in the first half, and yeah. then lean more heavily into either the starters or if like see you know we saw this against Ohio State, if CJ Guns shooting the ball well, playing well defensively, whatever he'll stick with him. We saw that against Michigan too. Um, but he tends to lean into the guys that he feels are playing well more in the second half. And if you look at it, Kalel Ware, 18 minutes in the second half. Malik Renew, 20 minutes in the second half. Mackenzie Mbacher, 16. Trey Galloway, 17. He, he basically didn't take his starters off the floor. So, I mean, I just – no, I, I think I think you're right that, like, the, the greater complaints are roster construction. And, like, I think that, that if, you know, if, if C.J. Gunn continues to shoot the ball well coming off the bench – then I think suddenly people's opinions of the bench change a little bit because they feel like there's actually a because I think what what what's frustrating for people is they feel like there's not necessarily a positive change off the bench right now like that there's you know and it's I would just argue only, it's a their placeholder to not lose a lead as yeah and like I would argue at times that's not been the case Anthony Walker has had some some good games no but I just think that's the perception of this bench right now that they're yes. that that the best that they can do is just not not give up the uh, points. Like, in this bench is magnifying like the wider issues of of correct sort of roster construction and and some guys don't and like the other thing is if you're a head coach you you know you you're always walking this line where you can sort of justifiably say well I you know if I don't play these guys they're never going to get better and if they don't get better then I'm never going to have a bench so. You know, I, I sort of understand a little bit of that too, which is like you're you're trying to find ways, you know, opportunities for these guys to improve. But no, it, it's it is a problem, and I think that I mean, listen, the, the flip side is, and we've talked a lot about Rutgers here. I do think it's worth talking about their Ohio State game too. Um, Indiana doesn't win that game without CJ Gunn, who comes in, makes some big shots, plays really well down the stretch. I thought his offense and his defense fed one another. Um, again, that's a game where. You know, it's a it's effectively an, an eight an eight man bench, and really in that second half, it's largely a six man rotation. Um, but I thought Indiana played really well, particularly given how badly they got beat up on the boards. Ohio State finished fifty two point four percent offensive rebound rate. That's a staggering number. Um, and yet Indiana was in control of that game a lot down the stretch because Indiana made key shots, Indiana got some big stops, and Mike Woodson will probably highlight this in red, only four turnovers in that game. Yeah, but, I mean, that's proving to be the outlier with the turnovers uh, versus the other games where they've been horrible. Um, you know, when you now look at sort of what they have coming up, we got uh, Minnesota on Friday, Purdue next week, and then, you know, this three that three-game stretch with Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois, two of those on the road, Um what are you expecting? I mean, have you do you have a read on this team at all? No, I, I mean, right now I think this team wins at home because home is comfortable and struggles to lose on the road or struggles to win on the road because the road is not comfortable. I think, I mean, I, I think this team is actually quietly in a place where these next two games are actually kind of must wins. You've said that now about the last two as well. So we are going well. I know I said I didn't think I didn't want to say they were must wins. I actually think these kind of are like are you've you've got to be good enough to beat Minnesota at home. But what's their because I mean is their path to the tur- tournament like they have to win all, like because they have to win all their home games right? Well, if the, let's so, I mean add it up if they beat Minnesota, Purdue, Iowa, Penn State, Northwestern, Nebraska, Wisconsin, 
that's what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more home games. That would get them to 19 wins. If we go to the net rankings, where are we at here? Where's Wisconsin would be a quad one win. Um, Purdue would be a quad one win. That's not a ton, but that's at least something Michigan state today would be a quad one win. So you'd at least get three quad ones there and you get to 19 games and then if you could just find a way to like, you know, I mean, if you if I mean if if you actually did this and you beat, let's say, Penn State, Minnesota, and Northwestern on the road, that would give you one more quad one and you'd have twenty two wins. They have Northwestern at home. They have Northwestern at home. I thought they played Northwestern on the road too. No, they don't. Okay. So then yeah, I mean then your problem if you're Indiana is gonna be like it's it's very hard to see them doing anything. Meaningful away from home. I guess Ohio State is probably their best because Penn State won't do much for you. Um, I don't think Minnesota, Minnesota's not a quad one win as of right now. So those aren't, those would not be quality road wins. Maryland, I would be shocked if I'm, I'm, I haven't been in the net rankings. And, you know, Maryland is nowhere near being quad one. Obviously, Michigan's probably not going to be quad one. That, that, that season has kind of turned into a, a mess. Um, did you see that just, they suspended a guy for only road games? Well, yeah, it's because of academic. He's going to dress at home, but is he going to play? <laughs> that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. That was an aside. But so, uh, I mean, but I mean, that's a really tough road, tough need. I mean, because you got Purdue at home. That's going to be hard. Wisconsin at home, Michigan State. Those are not cakewalks. And I mean, yeah. they're not playing well enough to really say, oh, yeah, they're going to, that, you know, that's, that, that's going to be possible. Uh, it, they're just, they've, the Rutgers loss is really going to loom large. On the schedule, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I just think, I just think generally, like, I, I don't know if there's one loss that looms to me more than others. Maybe Kansas, I guess, because that felt gettable. That felt like a bit of a, a season-defining, you know, turn if they could have won it. Um, I just, I mean, like, I don't think they can, for obvious reasons, I don't think they can reliably just stand here and say, oh, well, we just will win out at home. But I guess my point about the next two is you have to be able to beat Minnesota at home. If you can't beat Minnesota at home, then it's not practical to think you're going to beat Penn State at home, Northwestern at home. You know, Nebraska's a lot better than we expected, but Nebraska at home. Like, you've got to at least prove you can beat that caliber of team or any team in that area. And it's worth saying, like, as good as Nebraska's looked, they did lose to Minnesota. So give Minnesota some respect there. Um, You've got to prove you can win the games at home that – that just generally you can't really afford to lose just from a quantity perspective. And then I think you've got to beat Purdue just to prove you can beat a team of that level because if, because they've, they've got to do it. And listen, you know, we have this conversation every year. There are a bunch of teams with, you know, unimpressive resumes in the NCAA tournament. Like that's why the bubble, like every year we're like the bubble's weak this year. And it's like, no, the bubble's yeah. just the bubble. Like the bubble is, is just full of teams that are on the bubble because they haven't done enough to convince you, but you got to prove at some point you can beat a team of that caliber. And you've certainly got to do it, you know, by the end of the season, but I think you've got to do it soon because you don't want to get into a situation where Wisconsin's coming into town on February 27th. And you feel like, the world, you know, the season's over if you don't win that game. And so I just, I think they've, they've got to prove they can get those kinds of wins soon. Well, and with a team like that we've talked about that we feel is inexperienced, that, that I think is inexperienced, confidence becomes an issue, I think, at some point too. 
Um, does it start to wane? Um, you know, th these road games, does it spill over at some point? You know, because you're going to have two, you know, multiple stretches here uh, in the back half of the season where you're playing multiple road games, back-to-back, -back, you know, back-to-back -back road games. Um, and then is your confidence shot, if you lose to Wisconsin, Illinois, and things aren't looking pretty, what happens against Iowa? Or the same thing, Ohio State and Purdue, does Northwestern come and steal one from you? And and I'm interested that the psyche of this team has sort of been up and down. They've responded at times. At other times when you think they're going to kind of take a step forward, uh, like I thought the Ohio State win we've talked about kind of was their best maybe win of the season. And then, uh, you know, they just lay an egg at Rutgers. So you said, you know, that's a tough place they've played historically, but that still was a bad Rutgers team. Um, you it know, was. I mean, the, the issue with Rutgers is it's, it's – Mike Woodson does not seem to have solved facing a team that can just muck it up defensively the way Rutgers can. And, and like, it's it's weird because he's he kind of hasn't solved the extremes. He's only beaten Rutgers once, and he's never beaten Iowa. So it's it's like he, he, he hasn't really figured out, like, how to – manage the extremes of teams that don't play any defense but can shoot the lights out of the gym and teams that look like they're setting basketball back 30 years offensively but can do so much defensively to just take you out of what you want to do and can do so much in terms of like defending physically without fouling and all those different kinds of things he's just those seem to be like the the, the outliers are the ones you struggle with the most so yeah, I don't even. But that that's not that that crowd. I mean, there was nobody there because it was a emergency. I mean, you couldn't even get there. Like, I mean, they shouldn't have been intimidated by that environment. Minnesota, Minnesota Friday night, uh, Purdue Tuesday. I think it's going to be a big. I mean, it just it feels like it's going to be a big five days for Indiana to just see if it can kind of get a hold of of the direction of its season. Let's talk about the women. Um, Fourteen and one, as we mentioned earlier, five and zero oh in the Big Ten. Um, nine and zero in general. The only loss this season, obviously, was a, a bit of a staggerer in terms of the final score. But losing at Stanford is a, a perfectly like reasonable thing to do, especially in early mid November. Um, they're shooting thirty nine percent in the season on threes. I mean, they are just you know, and, and they're taking a bunch of them. You know, like if if you look at kind of, I'm looking at the top ten teams nationally and shooting threes. Um, They've taken, I think, the the fourth most of the top 10 teams or fourth or fifth most of the top 10 teams in the country in terms of three-point attempts, and they're shooting 39%, which is seventh nationally. It, it, we saw this a little bit last year, too, um, but when you can do it with Yard and Guard Zone, you can obviously do it with Sarah Scalia, you can do it with Sydney Parrish, Chloe Moore McNeil. Like When you have all these different players that on any given night can hit three, four, even five of them, and then you have an elite post player, it is just it is it is a really basic formula that a lot of opponents are going to struggle to manage. Well, they had one stretch where they had a different thirty point score leading the team in three different games, you know, and so it kind of highlights uh, what their starting lineup is able to do, how dynamic offensively they are. I think kind of the key for this team is is defensively to sort of live up to the expectations Terry Morin set. Um, you know, they haven't thus far this season. She's Harped on it every game, even though you know they've won won some of those non conference games uh, by fifty points. She was on them about sort of uh, having more focus, having more intensity. Uh, you saw that in a, a little bit glimpses of it last night's win. You know they had to come back from nine points against Penn State in the second half, um, and and I thought that was sort of you know showing some championship medal 
Uh, Terry compared it to the game they had. Uh, they lost in the tournament to Miami a year ago where they just got jumped on out the front and, and couldn't get back in it. They flipped the script uh, yesterday and came back. Uh, offensively, it was a bit of a slog, but they didn't have a very good shooting night, but they showed they could still beat a team. Um, and, I, and I thought that was sort of a key sort of uh, key moment for them. You know, they've won 13 straight now, two away from tying the program record. And then you know, obviously the big one, they have to go through Iowa on Saturday to make that happen. Um, and the Caitlin Clark show uh, that, you know, expected sellout 15,000 plus um, for, you know, uh, I got a story running tomorrow just about how consequential, not only in the Big Ten, but nationally, this this rivalry, this series of games has become. I mean, it's it's sort of a, a pivotal game in, in women's college hoops, you know, not just this conference, not just, you know, this year, last couple of years has been kind of the game or series. I think quickly, and then I do want to close with Iowa, but um, it's also stood out to me that, that Indiana's got some you know, some real depth this season. I mean, there were times last year where, you know, it felt like Indiana was just kind of running, you know, a rotation that went six deep and and Terry Moran would kind of fire off these, these quick, you know, Lexus Bargesser or Lady Meester would go in for like two minutes and then run back out and, you know, Mackenzie Holmes would run back in or whatever. But I mean, you've got four bench players playing at least 10 minutes a game. And I imagine that that will probably tighten up in some respects as you get deeper into Big Ten play again, talking about rotations. But I think that also makes a difference, especially when you've got some players there, not least McKenzie Holmes, who played a lot of basketball. And, you know, by the end of last season, McKenzie Holmes sort of health and the wear and tear was a big discussion. I think the the quality of Indiana's bench sort of minutes is is also, I don't know, you know, it's it's I think it's made a difference for this team so far. But I think it's going to make perhaps an even bigger difference as we get deeper into the season, because, again, there was fair or not this perception that Indiana was kind of worn down by the end of last year. Well, yeah, and the focus has been home specifically that she needs to be more comfortable coming out and not, you know, fight, you know, fighting tooth and nail to stay on the floor. She needs to have trust that uh, she can get those spell, you know, spells early in the games and be more you know, fresh not just in late in games, but late in the season, like you said, because uh, that knee was, you know, a problem, a problem last year. It is the Caitlin Clark show Saturday. Um, you'll be there. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it does sort of feel with respect to the rest of the conference, like these two programs have separated themselves. Obviously, Indiana got the better of Iowa in the big 10 regular season last year. Um Iowa, of course, had the more successful postseason. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I liked that Terry Moore and just kind of said it's become a bit of a rivalry. You get coaches a lot of times who play this stuff down. They say, oh, it's, you know, not this and it's not that. And obviously, Indiana Iowa will never be a traditional rivalry in the way Indiana Purdue or Indiana Kentucky, something like that. But I like that it seems like this program is embracing kind of the idea that, you know, McKenzie Holmes, Indiana versus Caitlin Clark's Iowa is kind of the defining sort of matchup of this particular sort of period in the history of Big Ten women's basketball. And Saturday night is is going to be a fascinating test for this team. Well, yeah, and the games haven't disappointed. Six of the last seven single-digit games, the last three uh, have been, uh, you know, one-possession games uh, within eight minutes in the, in the fourth quarter. Uh, obviously, the last one, was one that you know uh, I talked to Mackenzie this week. Uh, that shot that uh, Caitlin uh, uh, hit 
uh, the buzzer beater is kind of in the regular season finale uh, has stuck with this team. Um, you know, they watched her kind of, you know, go into the crowd with the teammates and, you know, they had kind of deja vu when she, they saw her do that against Michigan state. Uh, that one was from half court. Uh, and just so, um, you know, this team, you know, their big thing and, the, you know, what Terry preaches next game on the schedule, that's all we think about, but you have to think in the back of their minds, they know what this means and how important this one is. And the one thing that interests me is I think since December 10th, Iowa's played basically one close game. Um, and they're also on a 13 game win streak. Yeah. That I was, play. that was the Michigan state game that where Caitlin Clark hit the the buzzer beater. Yeah, and I don't yeah. remember if there was some controversy about the end of that game or not, but um, they have been just kind of steamrolling most teams they've played. They beat Minnesota by 23. You go back to Dece uh, the, the December big 10 start. They, beat Wisconsin by 22. They beat Rutgers by 34. Um, they just beat Purdue at Purdue by 25. So, you know, or, or if Indiana can turn it into a bit of a scrap, can Iowa, you know, sort of rise to meet a different kind of challenge? On the other hand, can Indiana handle what is bound to be a really boisterous environment um, in, uh, in Iowa City? And for people who wonder – the return fixture in this is February 22nd in Bloomington. That's an 8 p.m. game. Um, but we'll leave it there for now. For Mike Nislick, Blue General Times, I'm Zach Goss from the Indianapolis Star. This has been Mind Your Banners. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.